<laughs> I'd like to welcome everybody to Yap Yolk's Accidental Podcast. Uh, today in the studio we have uh, Max. <laughs> we we have myself, Mihao, and uh, our special guest today, w- which I'm so proud to have him in our uh, humble studio, Owen. Applause for Owen. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me today. Owen, um, can you, how did you end up in, in Krakow? How did I end up here? Um, it's a long, there's also a very short version of this. Yeah. Uh, so my wife is Polish. Yeah. Um, we were together before I moved over, so that's partly the reason I ended up here. Um, but I came here first in 2000 under the auspices of, of being here for work. Mm. Um and essentially have been here ever since. Yeah. So on and off since since 2000, I've, I've lived and worked here in, in Krakow. 2000? Yeah, yeah. Wow, so that's 2021 years. 2021 years. Yeah. Um, I say on and off, not not completely. We we spent some time in, in America, spent some time in Switzerland, spent some time in China, so we've been moving around a little bit, but also Krakow-based almost full-time, I'd say, for the last 10 years. Right. Um, and, and I think the reason that you've been traveling so much, uh, sort of worldwide, is on account of your profession. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's always been kind of work related. Yeah, I've had the the situation of uh, of living where I work rather than working where I live. Right. I remember uh, once we were talking, and you were talking about all of the traveling that you do, um, and 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 how you're just sort of getting tired of it, especially at your former job. Yeah, and I think you're looking for something that's a little bit more, I guess, local, but w- less travel intensive. Yeah, and, and we got that for the last 12 months too. It's been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're um, a bit more than anyone, wants it? <laughs> exactly. I haven't been on an airplane for 12 months, which is uh, has been a strange, a strange experience. Right. Um, but I no, I think I think the travel, just to use as examples, certainly for me, travel has always been part of of that. You know, our, our our choice has been to live in Krakow. Mm-hmm. I know that if, you know, making that choice, given the variety of global type roles I've played, travel is always going to be a factor. Sure. Right. So there's been a conscious, a conscious choice and a conscious balance there. Uh, how would you describe your, your line of work or, or, or maybe a, a few of your roles over the years? How do I do. I, I always struggle to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um so let me go, maybe I'll go back to the beginning. So I started in Krakow in 2000, essentially as a software engineer. Um, I came to set up and run a software center um, that at the same time, the company, startup company I was working for, which was an Irish company, was acquired by Sabre. So, you know, the, the, the large center that Sabre has in Krakow has its starting point back in 2000. So while I came and, and started r- working and operating as, a, as an engineer, as a software engineer, mm-hmm. um, I've really kind of taken a different career path where I, I see myself as a, you know, a, a general manager for, for service centers, you know, whether that's technology or business services or a lot of the business process centers you see that have grown, not just in Krakow, but worldwide um, over the last 20, 25 years. I see myself as a person who builds and runs and changes or matures or creates those, those environments. And you see yourself this way because it's it sort of... Um, y- you feel that that's where your skills lie? Yeah, I think so. Um, I see because that's that's ultimately what I've ended up doing mm-hmm. r- without any real conscious plan that that's the career path I, I had thought of. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it hasn't, it wasn't a conscious 
trajectory that I thought of. Nor was it something I, you know, ever kind of dreamt up going, this, this is the kind of job that I wanted. Because ultimately, as I came into the workforce, these jobs didn't exist. Yeah. It was a job that started to form for itself, um, I guess, around me mm. to a certain degree as I came over here and as I was building a centre with an engineering skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, the joke I tend to, or the story, the joke I tend to express is that I arrived over here as an engineer. I realised the engineers here were far better than I was, so it was time <laughs> for me to find a new role, trying for me to find a new path. Um, and I think I just brought a different profile, a different skill set, a different experience from communication, a different experience from working in global companies and multicultural, multi-country environments. I had that advantage, therefore it allowed me to to move into a slightly different role then and and continue to grow in that kind of a role. And what did the uh, multinational corporate scene look like back in 2000? Mm-hmm. It, what did it look like? Um, I guess what I'm, what I'm also yeah. getting to is that it was very much a kind of a t- good timing thing. It, it was, yeah, a, a hugely opportunistic. And for me, I've been enormously lucky that I, I probably was the right person or the right kind of person in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, what that multinational scene looked like, um, it didn't exist. Right. You had, you know, Motorola from a software technology side was probably one of the first international employers with a presence here. They had been around 12 months, maybe 18 months, depending on. Depending on who you ask, there's a couple of different stories, but essentially, you know, about a year in, in getting set up. Um, when I arrived, as we were about to open our centre, Sabre acquired the company. Therefore, that was the kind of start of international brand number two. Um, and then you had smaller, let's say, business centres. You know, the, the finance space hadn't really started yet. You started a couple of years later. You had companies like BP who were setting up their centre, which brought in uh, PwC, which also brought in Capgemini and International Paper, all those grew from that same genesis of what was happening in 99, 2000, 2001. So it was it was very much the beginning of that international employment core that was here. But I think it's quite important, certainly for me, the reason I, I, I picked Krakow, right? So when I arrived over, I arrived to Poland. I didn't arrive to Krakow. I arrived to Poland with the opportunity to decide where I wanted to set up this centre. So I looked at Warsaw, Wrocław, Poznan, Gdańsk, Krakow. Um, and again, I kind of jokingly would say, I like Krakow, it was a nice place to be, therefore we chose to be here. But the mm. real story, the reality was, you had companies like Comarc, who were already converting educated student engineering populations into professional engineers and delivering products or services through that pipeline. This wasn't happening at the time in Wrocław or Poznan or Warsaw to the same degree. Mm. So there was already a a developing capability. So when people think about you know why did you know why did the international brands arrive or what was the genesis for that? A lot of that comes down to companies like Comarc were kind of doing some of this already, um, and therefore the international employers were able to piggyback on that. And then you fast forward 15, 20 years, and you have a lot of startup activity piggybacks on the fact that a lot of the professional skill sets that are necessary for those small companies to succeed were engendered and developed into the culture of the city but it goes back to you know the end of the 90s into the early 2000s so where would you say krakow is now in 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 those terms is it still cutting edge or has warsaw and wrocław caught up i think it depends on what you're looking for Right, but come to the core of your question, it still is it still is recognised. Actually, Krakow is probably recognised globally or internationally first ahead of places like Warsaw or Wrocław or Poznań, Gdańsk. Um, 
mostly because of how much the market has developed in terms of scale and depth. If you look at how many employees are are in this broad kind of international or startup community space right. in Krakow, it's it's multiples of what you'll find in in um, in other cities. The diversity of employment you have in the in the location is better than you see in in other cities, mm-hmm. um, and therefore kind of the maturity of how the market is is capable of adjusting or adapting to what you know the world is needing is is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think some of the other cities are are catching up too, uh, but certainly if you then look at um, there would be global, let's say, reports or investment trend analysis that would look at you know global cities and not just Polish cities, but they'd look at everything from you know Western Europe and Dublin and Ireland all the right. way through to, to Berlin, Poland, all the way out to India and Vietnam and and, and China. Um, continuously for the last ten years, you have two cities in the global top ten. Now it's changed a little bit in the last year or so, but two cities in the global top ten that are European, everything else was Asia, mm. right? And the only two cities in the global top 10 were Dublin and Krakow. Mm. Um, and I, I, I share those because there tends to be a perspective that, yeah, the, those surveys value low cost more than anything else. Right. Uh, but there's no way you can have the conversation that says Dublin's low cost, mm-hmm. but it's still a top 10, top 15 city. You look at the, the, the latest surveys from kind of last year into this year, you now have cities like Toronto are in the top 10, 15 cities, globally in terms of this investment. So, so the surveys look at, you know, skill set, they look at maturity of the market, they look at, you know, socioeconomic details, they look at cost of investment, they look at the attractiveness of locations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see Krakow certainly continues to lead, not just from a Polish perspective, but from a, a central European perspective as well. Mm-hmm. It's It's got a very strong global reputation. And besides uh, sort of local talent coming out of the universities in Krakow and uh, sort of the mindset of those people. Um, it, what you're talking about right now is something that I uh, overheard just a few days ago from from another uh, sort of yeah person here in Krakow who said that the expat community in Krakow is much much bigger than it is in Warsaw. Uh, would you agree with that? Because to to me that seemed uh, off. Yeah, uh, uh, see, I, again, I think it depends on what you're looking at. Right. Right? I think in terms of absolute numbers, maybe, maybe not. Right. Right. But I think the the way I do look at it is that Krakow has established itself as a destination. Mm. Right. It's become, if you're thinking about I'm living somewhere in Europe and I'm thinking about advancing my career, mm-hmm. I could be in a professional services world, finance, software. You know, if you're if you're thinking about destinations around around this region you know Krakow is going to be very close to the top of that list yeah you see it um you see it through some of the employers right you look at companies like i'll take cisco as an example right Mm -hmm. the percentage of their non-polish employee base is very very high 35 30 35 percent maybe it's changed a little bit but it it certainly was 30 percent for for a long time and that was very conscious in their part right but also because they already had a kind of a a Cisco supplier education network was quite global. Mm-hmm. They were able to tap into that to get access to talent all over the world. But the other side of that coin was people could see that Krakow was a destination that was, you know, viable and realistic for them to target as being part of their career development. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think in that sense of what does an expat community actually mean, mm-hmm. um, in a traditional sense, yeah, expats were, you know, sent by companies to, to go and work for a while and then go back home. 
I think the meaning of it for Krakow is quite different. I think you have a very, very deep and actually a very, very involved foreign national working population in the city that I think has brought, you know, lots of experience and lots of cultural colour into into the working environments here. But it happens because it's a it's a viable destination for people to think about in their in their career path. Based on your personal uh experience and uh the experience of so many uh, sort of international people that you've been around, uh, most likely your your uh, employees and things like that. What do you think this this group of people uh, wants or needs uh, in a city or in a community? What, what do you think are their priorities? What's valuable to them? I mean, I think there are two things that come along, probably from in a very simplistic picture. One is, you know, is there a place for a career and, and a you know a rewarding mm-hmm. market relevant salary? Um, and is this a place you see yourself living, mm-hmm. right? Is there a sense of culture, a sense of safety? Are there facilities? Is there a cultural, you know, environment? Is there a nightlife environment? And, and, and then depending on, on the individual, do you see yourself living here? How might you settle? How might you raise a family? How might you, as an individual, grow in a, in a, in a location like this? And I think, you know, I, I think Krakow has a lot of that. Actually, it has all of that. I'll take my, you know, I mentioned earlier on, we'd spent some time in a number of different countries. You know, mm-hmm. part of it was we we probably had, in the early years at least, when we weren't quite as aware as, as we are today, personally, um, went looking for something that we thought was elsewhere mm-hmm. and realized it was actually, you know, here in Krakow on our doorstep. You know, the ability to have a social life, have a sporting life, have access to continental Europe without having to get on an airplane or, or get on a boat. You know, all those different details of what people's personal interests could, could support. Now, it's not going to be the, the perfect answer for everybody. Right. But I think in terms of a comparative location, um, you know, in this region or around the world, it it measures up quite well. You know, yeah. I think you'll find a lot of people absolutely enjoy their, their life in Krakow. They, they talk fondly about it. People who have lived here and move away talk fondly about you know missing aspects of the life here and i'm sure there are parts about their new lives elsewhere that they would you know say are better or worse uh, it's, it's just that balance i think krakow yeah. does have a a pretty good balance to what it can offer mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm always really pleasantly surprised uh when i hear a, an expat talking about uh, all the things that they appreciate about poland and and, and how wonderful it is and and how it sort of that they feel safe, that, uh, uh, for example, Krakow is a very walkable city. And uh, and obviously the cost of life is, is also sort of uh, something that they often mention. Um, all right, let's slightly switch gears here. Um, what are you currently focused on? Uh, tell me the, the company that you're, you're leading now and, and the project and the challenges that are facing you. So the the company I'm working for now is a global financial services firm called Wanda, which um, which from the very beginning I've been telling you sounds like a like an Indian tribe, and I just lo- love that word Oanda. I just ah, I just like it. Well, it's a made up word. It comes from Olson and Associates. So they oh. dropped all the complexity of it and just went with Oanda, O and A, and then it turned itself into a word. So that's the genesis of what of what it actually means. Um, so as a company, we are a global financial uh, trading, retail trading uh, firm. In so and, and and for me, I have two two primary roles. One is setting up and running a new service center here in Krakow, um, which is a 
just call it a, a kind of combination of an engineering center and a business services center. So we have a variety of, of different roles. Um, and, and Krakow is kind of a core hub now for, for our global our global operations. And then I have a broader role, which is as chief transformation officer for Rwanda. Um, in the simplest terms, I, I have a job to sit down and look at how the organization operates and mm. redesign it so that it's ready to scale and grow more quickly. Mm. That's the two-line version of that, which I think is the safest place to <laughs> to leave it. And we'll get to scaling in a, in a moment. But um, where our paths crossed uh, sort of more professionally was that you, or Oanda, and, and your, your early, early team uh, were... The first tenants of Yoke. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Max, do you want to say a little bit more about that time? Or what can I say? Oh, and I mean, we know each other for for a little while, and you knew what was going on here. Yep. And it just timings just seemed to work out that you needed a bit of space for a few people. We had some space, and you became a first tenant. It was mutually beneficial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best way of describing it. Well, no, absolutely. Well. So, I mean, as, as you said, we we've known each other many years, and and I knew what you were trying to create. Um, and as you were kind of getting the momentum going, I knew what I was trying to create. I could see that the timing could overlap, and I probably put a bit of pressure to make sure that the timing <laughs> did overlap. As a young entrepreneur trying to get your doors open, it well, was you know, get your doors if, open. If not for you, maybe we would have opened up during the lockdown. Exactly, a couple of months <laughs> later, which which uh, might not have played out the same way. Um, no, but putting that aside, right? Obviously, we were we were a new employer into the market. Um, we had. You know, kind of made our very first hires. I was the first hire. We, you know, by the time I think we got around to, to really connecting, which would have been early February 2020, um, we had two or three employees who had just come on board. Um, now, it was, you know, quite realistic for those individuals to sit at home, right, and, and kind of engage in their roles and get ready into the organization. But I also saw an opportunity where, you know, having them have a place to come and connect um, and if it was, you know, even just creating their own sense of community before, you know, the old community had started to develop, that was perfectly fine, right? It, it just gave me the opportunity to know that we had a, a working environment where our first couple of people could could get together. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really kind of February and March of 2020, where we had the opportunity to, to use the space and help, you know, I guess, be part of how that community got started. Mm. Um and then we moved into our own office space, and then two weeks later, yeah, pandemic, you know, got us to close the whole thing down again. So I think we all went through that that interesting cycle of, you know, why do we have an office again? So you went from three people or something mm -hmm. close to that when you were at Yoke to how many as of today? As of today, we're just over 100, um, on our way to probably about 180, 190 by the end of and that's this in, year. And that's in just over one year, one year and a couple of months I would say it was during less, a right? Pandemic. During a pandemic. So, so you know, while while there were one or two of us on board in February, March, right, that was the first phase of getting some of our, you know, let's say operational rhythms going. Um, and so we started to recruit at that stage and we would have really had, you know, had our first employees coming into us at the end of May into June, right? So it's, in my mind, it's kind of six months of, of onboarding and, and, and growth, six months into nine months now. Um, but also, I mean, it's it's a that's a scale and a journey I've gone through with many companies before. So it is one of the aspects of what of what my job entails and what I do. Uh, obviously, the pandemic created 
new challenges in terms of uh, bringing talent on board. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm, I'm really curious about sort of the cultural aspect, but also finding good fits for, for your company. That aspect of our process didn't really have to change all that much. Mm-hmm. We were already, you know, organized and planning to work in a, in a, virtual, remote, in a virtual remote manner. Nice. So that piece of our experience didn't, didn't really change. What became very different was how do we onboard people? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, we we had an office, but we weren't expecting people to come in because it, you know, for every individual they had a preference on on how safe or otherwise they might have thought it to be, um, and so we had to come up with a lot of different ways of how we would onboard people. You know, that ranged from everything from some people coming to the office to us, you know, hiring a taxi every morning with a new laptop and a contract and a box of goods <laughs> and a bag and shipping it out to people's houses. Right, you know, it it is one of those versions where you know there there really wasn't a playbook for how how a company would deal with this. Um, and you could see across the market, not just here, but globally, lots of companies, you know, trying and, and testing lots of different solutions, right? So getting somebody a laptop and a contract is, is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting them connected into their colleagues because, you know, again, for us in our early days, a lot of our teams were split, distributed between Krakow and London, Krakow or Toronto and other locations. So so that distributed nature of work has always been part of our our working model anyway. Right. And it is quite common for, for lots of companies at this stage. Um, but what I could see, certainly in the early stage, is that as our office was growing, um, people were very connected into their teams, mm. but not into the what I would have considered the traditional office culture. Yeah, And, and, and the way I describe it is, as we were growing, even up to 100 people, um, I talked to you know different team members and asked them how many people were in the office and they would say five or six right because they knew who was on their team right they didn't really know what, what else had grown around them in a let's say quote unquote crack of crack of office context even though the whole thing was was virtual now in, in the middle of all of that you know having gone through this cycle before it was very clear that we would invest and consciously think about what our culture and development plans would be so we we already knew that this was something we would be, spending time and, and money to a certain degree on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is, I mean, you can throw 100 people together, you know, cross your fingers and 12 months later hope that they all connect and engage and there's a an operating and behavioral culture that, that works. But it's a random, that's a random risk you, you take. Um, or, which is something I, I genuinely like to do, is you you consciously bring people and the groups together to help ask them and help them to define what culture they want. Mm. And then bring that into a more tangible description of, you know, what would your organization culture be? What are your values? What are your behaviors? What does good look like? Um, and unless you design that, unless you constantly put it in place, the chance of you actually hitting that is, is fairly random. Now, we still wanted to do this, but, you know, because everybody was sitting at home, mm-hmm. um, we just had to come up with different ways of different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um and again, we use, I think, a lot of the same kind of technologies and tricks that lots of other companies were using. We would, you know, we switched away from kind of old video conferencing infrastructure. We were using Google Meets, we were using Zoom, we were using mm-hmm. breakout rooms in Zoom, randomly connecting people during the day for coffee, mm-hmm. randomly connecting people on Slack for, for coffee buddies where they would, you know, virtually sit down and talk about something mm-hmm. personal or non-work related for a couple of minutes. So, so we, you know, tried a lot of these different ideas and tools that were... Um, either known to work or we were just at least going to give it a try in the sense that we you know consciously could recognize that you know being focused on creating that culture across the organization was still necessary Mm -hmm. the mechanics of how we were able to do it was what was different yeah but the 
the value of it was still necessary. And frankly, the value of it was probably even more important this year than it has been mm-hmm. in previous in previous years because not only were not only did you not have those physical water cooler coffee conversations, whatever whatever kind of you know title you want to put on them, um, you didn't have the same sense of engagement or understanding of what you know what people were coming into. I think in, in the past, whenever I've heard um, people talk about the topic of uh, uh, corporate culture, company culture, they they were often talking about this this global behemoth that that sort of encased everything. But but more and more, I'm hearing, and you sort of mentioned this about sort of having uh, sort of team cultures or, or smaller cultures within a greater culture, and 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 each of these smaller cultures, because obviously reflect uh, that small team of people much better and identify with them. Yeah, it's, a, it's absolutely necessary. And I think it's the same thing, right? If you, if you roll back to what you said at the beginning, if you do have corporate values, mm. a lot of the time, unfortunately, you know, unless you live them, it becomes a set of words on a poster or some mural on the wall that says, this is who we are. Um, but it can be very difficult to actually see that in action. And often it's sort of pushed top down. It it, yeah. it 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 usually is pushed top down, right? Yeah. And and I I think you know the larger the organization is, the more difficult it is to f- truly engage everybody in in what that should look like. Or if you're coming into an organization, this was a set of values that might have been articulated ten years ago, twenty years ago, a hundred years ago. You know how relevant is it? I think the only time it's ever successful is that if you if you can connect that either location or like you said that small team culture, that that local culture has to be able to flourish. Mm-hmm. But the problem you have is if that culture is incompatible or inconsistent with the, let's say the global, mm-hmm. the global message, then you have a problem, sure. right? Because you end up getting this cultural divergence where you can very clearly see that you know there are locations or or teams or individuals that actually don't you know don't engage or don't correlate their values or the behaviors or or or, or how they operate with what the company is looking. Um, and so, so the reason I say it like that is that yes, you will have global culture definitions and you will have local culture definitions. Both of them are very necessary, and both of them will happen. You know, whether you like it or not, they will they will happen and they will exist. Where they become valuable and therefore powerful and 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 uh, important is making sure that they're connected. They have to have you know some connection point. Yeah, th- those are all really good points. Yeah. How does the office look at the moment? Our new office. Well, I mean, in, in terms of like how many people are there, you know, what's the kind of uh, okay? So, capacity? so for us, we moved into so we knew, moved into a new office space again, our permanent office space, um, two months ago. So at the beginning of of twenty twenty one, we, to be honest as well, when we sat down to kind of identify the place and then do the kind of floor layout and design, um, we didn't at the time consider COVID to to continue. And so our original design was you know, kind of high density, lots of desks, lots of people in the office. The original day. design, which was actually done during the pandemic. It would have, well, it would, be, it would have been done in the very early stages of the yeah. pandemic. So I'm talking about kind of March, April of last mm. year, right? So you it know, was happening, pandem- but you still... It was happening, but like everybody else, we were saying, yeah, two months, three months down the road, yeah. it'll, it'll yeah. all be okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, let's not be too distracted by it. Um, but actually, as we got to, really as we got to kind of September and October, needing to make some final decisions on the office and needing to start spending money on furniture and different things like this, it was our last opportunity to redesign what the office would look like. And so we we actually started to factor in um, 
the, the pandemic, but actually we didn't factor in the pandemic. What what we did is is not just for Krakow, but coming back to kind of global culture mm. uh, within the organization, we very clearly articulated that, you know, we see our ways of working have changed. Uh, we've seen how people are either office-based or home-based and the dynamics of how that hybrid model, and, and again, that means different things to different people. Right. But let's just use that word for the moment where a combination of working from home or working from the office that hybrid model is probably what our future will look like, and so not just from a crack of office side, we've we've um, we've described this you know within our company as being our future of work, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so what we're doing is is designing our crack of office as being the first prototype in the company of what that future office space of work looks like. What we could see you know and hear from all the employees was yeah I, in general I'm quite happy at home I don't mm-hmm. have to commute I'm more productive There's lots of positive sides to it. But at the same time, we were also still hearing from people that they missed the office. Mm. They missed being in the office. They missed the cultural connections. They missed, you know, the the relationships they would have had with work colleagues in the office. And so, you know, taking all that into account, our office design is reflecting a future of the office for us, which is much more about community rather than work. So our office is a destination of a community part of our company rather than being, rather being a destination for work. Um Translating that into what we've done with the office, um, about half of the office is kind of in traditional desk-based setup, um, and then the other half of the office is much more designed around project team structures or collaboration structures, mm-hmm. so that you know as teams come together in the office to be together, right? We have you know desk layouts and infrastructure that better supports that, so they can spend you know if they're spending a day a week together or two days a week together, they have a a, a an office layout that's designed specifically for that yeah while there are other people who you know i want to just be in the office a couple of days a week because mm-hmm. it's it suits my personal style or my personal situation we have what would you call what i would call kind of traditional desking solutions to to cover that as well yeah so it's it's partly the pandemic has has created this kind of new way of working um but it's us recognizing you know for the future foreseeable future and i mean not just pandemic but post-pandemic for the next number of years we feel this will be the way this will be the way that we work. Um, and it's also an aspect for us as a company because we are, you know, we are a very global organization, right? We would have project teams who are trying to find a time zone for somebody from Tokyo and somebody mm. from Krakow and somebody from London and somebody from Toronto to be on the phone at the same time. Um, that's quite a difficult time zone juggle to to build. And so recognizing that, recognizing the office dynamics are different, recognizing the technologies available to us are all different. It's both an opportunity and a requirement for us to rethink what is our working culture in the company and how how do we want to operate. But a little bit like my point around the culture side, unless we sit down and design that, everybody's going to come up with their own version of what it means to them. Yeah. And so, so we have a conscious investment within the company right now is to design what does that working model look like? What does that mean for our employees? What are the skills they might need to have to be successful in that world? What are the technologies we might need for that to be successful? So how do we... How do we do it properly rather than just saying, yeah, you don't have to come to the office anymore? Mm-hmm. That's that's not a that's not a solution. Mm-hmm. That's just a that's just an answer to do I have to come to the office? Right. Right. But it's not a solution for how teams should communicate, how they should collaborate, um, and what our working styles would be. Yeah. I, I think it's really smart that you guys uh it's a very forward looking approach to uh focus on the culture part of it, but also the infrastructure part of it. Uh, let's shift gears again, but but this time I want to sh- shift some bike gears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that must be that must be all <laughs> that must be almost a new experience. Uh, Owen, uh, I know you cycle a lot. Um, it, it's more than the two of us put together at the moment, I think. Yeah, definitely. certainly you, Mister Runner. <laughs> yeah, so so we know each other through 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 cycling. Uh, thanks thanks to Max, that's how we got connected. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> Earlier, we were talking about like what the the office means now for people. Uh, I'm curious what uh, cycling and and your bike means to you in your life. Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> yeah, um, I know it sounds like a corny kind of one one word detail. There's probably a, a longer story to it, right? So so while we had mm-hmm. met, you know, through our kind of our interest in in cycling as kind of a a common theme we have across a number of our friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look back at it because it's, it, it certainly isn't a sport that I had ever any involvement in up until a couple of years ago. Mm. Right, so, you know, Cycling for me was a mode of transport. Right, mm-hmm. Growing up, we always had bikes, but that was for getting to school and going to see friends and going fishing and stuff. It was, it was a transport detail. And so kind of the type of cycling we're talking about now is, is, um, is actually quite a new, a new detail for me in my later life. Mm. Um, but it's you know I think it's given me a lot of quite important aspects that I think have been again necessary when I think about a, a topic like something like work-life balance mm-hmm. right a lot of my thing about we were talking earlier on about my career has brought me to to work and live in different countries for a couple of you know a couple of years at a time um it was never long enough to actually settle, never long enough to actually be able to go off and find things and, and do things. And so until I came back to Krakow, you know, the ability of me having kind of a work-life balance really didn't didn't exist. Um, and so almost by accident, I had I had bought a bike a couple of years ago when we were living in Switzerland, mm. um, which was kind of a personal challenge of knowing that I had to start to do something different. I had to start doing something for myself, bought the bike, but never really. Never really did anything with it. Mm-hmm. I went for a couple of cycles a few days. This is really great. This is as fast as I remember <laughs> when I was a kid. This is great fun. But, you know, I probably didn't do anything with it. Um, and then by accident, actually, I started to get back into it on my own. Um, probably about six years ago, six, seven years ago. Um, and because I didn't know anybody who cycled, it was something I was doing on my own. Mm-hmm. and started to realize I was, you know, getting a little bit faster every day. I was going mm-hmm. a little bit longer every day. I was feeling mm-hmm. better every day. Um, and then in in kind of social circles, realized there were other people who cycled, got connected, cycled with them. And it, then it just became something I was, you know, doing on a probably far too regular basis, if you ask my wife. Um, but it became part of what, you know, a, a social group and a social connection that we had. So I go back to the point of freedom, right? It's it's something I know I can do. I can do it as a group and have a great social um, friendship and experience with it. I can go and cycle on my own and have some thoughtful, either deep thinking time or, or no thinking time at all, just completely mm-hmm. empty-brained um, freedom and freshness that I can go and do. It's allowed me to go and cycle and visit in different countries and different places around the world. It's allowed me to compete and pretend that I can you know, race and do various things that allow me to go and do multi-day trips and, and give me a lot of different experiences and opportunities that I never, ever really thought of when I was starting. When I was starting, it was a case of, I used to be sporty, I used to be fit, I need to go and find some version of this again. Mm. Um, and that's where it started, but it developed into, it's developed into something for me that's quite important. 
I mean, it's interesting because you, you just um, reminded me when you were saying about that, <clears throat> and it goes back to kind of a community, what we're talking about, the social side and community here in Krakow, which we've kind of developed around the cycling. I remember when I first came here sort of six, seven years ago, I, I, I purposely didn't want to interact with the expat community because I knew I, I had some friends here from, you know, that I've known for a while who seemed to live in this kind of bubble and I was always like, that's not going to be me. I, I'm going to, you know, we're going to embrace the, you know, mm -hmm. living in Poland. And I think for the first three years I was here, I was, all my cycling buddies were Polish. We would be going out drinking all the time. And I think I got to the stage where <coughs> I kind of missed that connection, cultural con connection, mm -hmm. because a lot of, uh, you know, they would have to explain the culture behind the, the jokes and, and, and similarly, which was yeah. fun at first. And then at some point, you know, it was, um, you know, I, I was starting to miss home, I guess. But one of the things I think I posted in the Krakow expat group about uh, what I was doing at the time, Podia, the, the trips. And I think that's the point where we connected. You, um, you, you messaged me and said, hey, you know, there's, a, there's actually a couple of us who are cycling. And, and we shortly after made the group, mm -hmm. the KRK XCC group. Um, for anyone out there who's cycling on Facebook, on Facebook, yeah. You know, it's partly about fitness and travel and sport, and it's partly about you know the gadgets and the technologies that are <laughs> embedded in here. But it's also partly about the the community and the connections that yeah. that I've been able to to develop, not just here, but you know any little event that might happen, you know, almost anywhere in the world. You you always then still come back out of that with a new. Friendship's probably too strong a word, but at least a new acquaintance and a new connection that mm. you can hold on to. Um, and I think you also then recognise there are elements of kind of the social media, social platform setups that we're all involved in that allows you to continue to have some mm -hmm. of those connections um, over time. But I think it's just become a you know a good community, mm. a good community yeah, I mean, structure yeah. for us. Yeah, to have. Precisely, yeah. I think that's because uh, Max earlier you were talking about the sort of the expat community aspect of it and sort of wanting to, that you had a lot of value of returning into uh, surrounding yourself with people who are familiar with your uh, culture and, and maybe priorities and, and, and language. Uh, I think that's why you at Yolk push so hard uh, to have that expat international focus in, in terms of the community here. Would that be right? Yeah, I think so. I think... <clears throat> I think I got to the stage here in, in Poland, in Krakow, of realising that I hadn't really built a kind of social structure, community, which um, which I had back in London. Mm. Um, and I, maybe I kind of didn't appreciate how, how much that meant to, you know, a, a good, happy life. Mm -hmm. um, and now I look back and think that, you know, embracing the kind of, yeah, the international i wouldn't say it's even embracing you know finding the english because <laughs> even our group is full of you know australians irish um and polish as well and polish yeah of course yeah um, and it's the same with yoke you know i think you 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 do attract the polish who are at attracted to an international mm -hmm. um, community which makes i think makes it a really rich experience which i think the the cycling group that we have you know is is reflects quite, you know, what we have at Yoke as well. They're very similar. I think you'd end up having that combination of, it, it is like-minded, like-interested people coming together. 
right? Whether it's through yoke and you have, like I say, you know, kind of an international vibe or, or individuals who've worked abroad and are, are looking for some of that variety in colour, you know, in, in how and where they work, whether for us it's it's kind of an interest in cycling or, you know, layered on top of that is a little bit like you mentioned earlier on, kind of, you know, our, the cultural references to which we would associate ourselves more comfortably. On that note, Owen, it, it's been a pleasure having you here today. Uh, I'm already thinking about who I want to send this conversation to, other uh, sort of leaders of companies, because uh, I hope they're as uh, forward-thinking as you are in, in terms of company culture, about these neighborhoods that you mentioned, about these smaller teams, about the, the global company culture, uh, the flexible workspaces, the, but, but also not. <laughs> uh, I, I think those are all really great concepts, and uh, those are ideas worth sharing. Uh, so I think that's someone else's line. <laughs> It's Ted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they copied it from me. <laughs> you really have been practicing this outro. <laughs> oh. I, I was actually just talking to... Uh, b- before this, I had a call with somebody who, who organized uh, TEDx in Kazimierz here in Krakow. Uh, so, so I think that was <laughs> still in the background somewhere. Yeah. Owen, uh, we're we're incredibly thankful to to have you here. Uh, hopefully, wherever your your personal goals uh, lead you uh, in the future and and your professional goals, I hope we get a chance to talk about them again. Um, from Yolk Coworking, uh, this has been. Episode number seven of Yolk's Accidental Podcast on uh, behalf of Max, our dear, <laughs> our dear leader. <laughs> Thanks, Mihao. Uh, me, Mihao, and our special guest, Owen. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I can't wait until Tom gets back and, and, and he could uh, do this heavy lift because obviously I, I just don't know how to end conversations no, nor start them. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why your conversations go on for so long? Yeah. You yeah, just don't know how yeah. to get out of it. It's just, just tangent. Just tangent. And, it's and too I'm polite just, sometimes. No, I just, I think, I think my strategy is to wear the other person down. <laughs> it's a war of attrition. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's one of those things like, uh, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hanging yeah. up.